Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Little fat man who sold his dream. Chubby little loser. Pathetic little fat man. No one's bloody laughing. Hello, and welcome to Stalking Time for the Moon Boys with me, David Baddiel, and Tim Hinks. Hello, Tim. Hello, David. And our special guest uh, on today's podcast, we're very pleased to have with us, Stephen Merchant. Thank you very much for having me. That's that's very, very nice to have you here. And obviously, uh, people will know instantly that is why we played that particular David Bowie song. Sure. Which was written by you and Ricky Gervais and David Bowie. Yeah, apparently we have a a co-songwriting credit with Bowie in some kind of PRS music licensing room somewhere. Can I point out you say Bowie? You see, that's... Oh, I'm uh, sorry. No, no, don't be sorry, because that's an issue on this podcast because right. I say Bowie, yeah. but Tim has proved to me, using a cut-up collage of Bowie saying it's Bowie, Bowie that it should be Bowie. Although Bowie. Bowie himself, towards not towards the end of his life, I think in the late late 90s, he started saying, he said in an interview with Jeremy Paxman, is it Bowie, is it Bowie? I can't, I can't even remember myself anymore. Right. But I, everything David Bowie did... Was always there was always that mystery thing, right? Whether it's do I mean coffee or do I mean tea? Every, yeah. Literally every detail, including his name. So yeah. there's no shame. So there in is saying no Bowie. consensus. What about among fans? Among fans, I think the consensus is Bowie, but I am fairly of the opinion that that is a modern consensus, and that when I was young, it was Bowie. Uh, that is my opinion. What uh, did you? I mean, I, well, well, let, well, let's ask you. You spent more time with him than anyone else in this room. I've met him once briefly. Tim met him when he was three. Yeah. Well, not when Bowie was three. Tim's not that old. When he was three, and <laughs> therefore didn't speak to him. Uh, so you presumably called him David. You didn't call him Mr. Bowie. Well, I think Bowie. that's the thing. I was going to say, there's, I, thinking of it now, there was no reason to mention his last name. No. It didn't get that it, formal. You know, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Didn't, it's not like we gave him a grand entrance, like an ambassadorial <laughs> ball. No. Please welcome <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. David Bowie Bowie. Yeah. Although, <laughs> having said that, having said that, I mean, we want to know. We're going to want to know details of your of your time with with Bowie. I'm going to call him Bowie, even though I want to say Bowie. Say it. But it's I, okay. But, but but I'm not going to. But <laughs> David is iconic. Yeah, but David. But <laughs> was there a moment, in fact, on set, because you directed extras as well? You co-directed yes. extras where you said, "Everyone, it's David." Bowie or David Bowie, and everyone sort of applauded and was excited, or, or did that not happen? I don't. Because no, I don't. Quite a lot of people. Isn't it Sean Thingy's in it, or is it Barry from EastEnders? I can't <laughs> yeah. remember. Uh, I don't remember a big announcement. I mean, I, th- I I feel like there was probably a moment in which he sort of walked in, and yeah. there was probably a hushed silence. But my general memory of that whole experience was that he was very affable and unstarry and easygoing. There wasn't a mm. sense of sort of grand mm. um, diva like 
it, I think my expectation was that he'd feel it would feel like this alien mm. landing because mm. I think that's your idea of him. Of course, it is. Of, yeah. You know, had you uh, had any? I mean, you must have had contact to write the song, but was that just sort of uh, remote contact to write the song? You just sent him the lyrics and then he wrote the song. Well, I'm trying to remember exactly how it came about. Somehow, Ricky Gervais had befriended him or mm. had some kind of acquaintanceship right. with him. Because I, I remember the first time it really came on my radar was when we were talking about the show, sort of Ricky saying, shall we approach David Bowie, Bowie? Mm. And What did he say, Bowie? I can't remember. <laughs> what, Ricky, I think Ricky says Bowie. Bowie, Yeah, because okay. I've seen Ricky talk, and I was, I've been mm, on Ricky's yeah. podcast. But, uh, yeah, because... But anyway, so my, my first memory was he said, shall we approach him? We obviously said yes. We And I remember him... F- I remember Ricky relaying me the story, which he may have told you, of of calling mm. David and and sort of and Bowie picking up the phone and saying, um, uh, "Oh, sorry, Rick, I'm going to do a bad impression." Mm. Sorry, Rick, I was just eating a banana. Yeah, and yeah, I just there's something that. about the image of David yes. Bowie at home. Iman, have we got any bananas? <laughs> yes. yeah, 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 and I've always found that that to me kind of took a lot of the anxiety about who we were dealing with away immediately. That it was somewhat yeah. something. So it's very hard to be very, very alien, right. and, and otherworldly when you're eating a banana. Yeah, just because the, the nature of even just picturing that image. Obviously, yeah. in my mind, the image is he has the kind of you know, the sort of uh, yeah, lightning bolt across his face yeah. and everything. Yeah. You're assuming he peeled it himself and so on. I mean, it may not be such a domestic scene. <laughs> yeah, it, may have been, it may have come through a Japanese vending machine. Yeah, right. Where he, it could have been, through could, a tube in his house. That yeah. sort of thing. That's I still think like a banana. Think. I mean, could I, if you'd been eating, if you said I'm eating a curly whirly, maybe it's, that would also have brought us down to earth. But a banana is, I think it's a very default. I think well, I'm what, just an ordinary bloke thing. It's right. What we all say about bananas is they are great levellers. They are. That's great. the one thing <laughs> exactly. we all know yeah. about bananas. And it? so, so then having him, he'd obviously agreed to do it because then the next phase was I remember we were writing the sketch and then we were writing lyrics, which yes we sent to him, hmm. and then I think the next time we had dealings with him was when he arrived on the set. Right. And I think he came maybe the day before, and I remember. There was a piano in a back room, and he came. Where, in. where did you shoot it? Because it's meant to be the Groucho Club. Yes, but it, it was but somewhere in the Club. middle of nowhere. It was right. a tiny little odd nightclub <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. I can't even. Do you remember, remember the town? Because I, 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 I want to have David Bowie arriving in Basingstoke. Oh, it was somewhere really obscure. It was, pro, you know, I, I'm trying, but it was, it was really deep, deep outer London, right. perhaps off, off towards Uxbridge. Yes, there or sort of <laughs> right. towards. Um, and he's living in somewhere. London. He's come across specially for it, has he, David? As far as you know, because he's he lives. Where did he live? In New York. New at the York time. Um, or Geneva. At that point. I can't remember. Yeah, Maybe either New was... York or Switzerland, but not London, right? So he cer- I certainly remember there was a weird moment where we were in this very odd club in the right. middle of nowhere, mm. and suddenly he was there, and I remember that feeling of. So all did that feel? Because we haven't really. Are you a, a big fan, Stephen? Or, I am a big we, fan, yeah, but I yeah. would regard Ricky as certainly a bigger right. fan and a more long-standing fan. And right. I think for him, being slightly older than me, he grew up and he experienced the whole right. revolution of David. Yes. Yeah. But I, for me, he was someone that sure. I became appreciative of later. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't have quite. I wasn't quite yeah. as overwhelmed, but it was still. Yeah. No. Big. Extraordinary. Right, right, right. And then I remember him playing us the music he had. Oh written God. to set to those lyrics. Yeah. So the first time you heard that was when he turned up. Was when he turned up. He didn't up. send you an MP3. No, he beforehand. played the piano. Right. I think I think Ricky had said something yeah. like, "Could you could you make it sound a bit like Heroes or yeah. something?" Life on <laughs> Mars. I, or something. Yeah, and I remember it, that there'd been Bowie saying, "Oh, sure, I'll just write another <laughs> yeah, Heroes yeah, or yeah. whatever it was." But it is good. I mean, it is I good. mean, I don't mean obviously it's funny. The lyrics are funny and all the rest of it, but 
I think it's actually a rather good bit of music as right, well. Lovely. I mean, you might that might seem odd to be surprised because it's by David Bowie, but yeah. still, you know, absolutely for such clearly, a silly for such a silly. It's a, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, great their extras roles. It's a sitcom, right? And Bowie might have thought, well, I'm not going to bring all my talent to bear, to right? That, but absolutely. I do really like the song. You but, know, when like the two Ronnies would because we haven't mentioned them yet. Yeah. Uh, when the two Ronnies would do a musical number and they'd do a slight pastiche of. I remember status quo or something. It was yeah. quite dis- even as a kid, loving the two rhymes, but the music bit was always a bit disappointing. It's like Bowie has distilled what his music is in one because we hadn't heard from him for a while, right? And so you're thinking he's got a piano, very hunky dory, and so on, and then he writes this these chords, and they are very, very there's something very Bowie about it, mm. right? He's sort of got that thing about if you just want to sum my music up, mm. this is what it is. Mm. And I think the chords well, that was are quite certainly simple, a request. But, I think the re- yeah. a request had been yeah. sort of make it as classically Bowie-like as right. you could. But I do remember him saying something, again, I'm paraphrasing this, because at the time I knew it was important, but I think we were just in the midst of production yes. and you don't log everything knowing that one day you'll be on a podcast to talk about it. But mm. I do remember him saying something <laughs> very, very kind of um, modest about how, you know, in a sense he was aware that he, in the later in those later years of his music career, that he was slightly recycling things, right, oh, or wow. regurgitating things, he or something. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there yeah, was an yeah. acknowledgement yes. that perhaps. But he I was... always thought that was brilliant. Yes. Actually, um, one of the things I like about Bowie's latter stages is, although he was still innovative, particularly on Black Star, I think there was an acceptance of like, actually, this is what I'm good at. Right. And it, like, I've always gone on about this that he's a brilliant songsmith. Actually, he's a brilliant purveyor of melody. You know, and then and when he started in the late nineties to try and write industrial stuff, he wrote an album called Outside, which is sort yeah. of unlistened in my opinion uh, he sort of gave that up and thought no wait a minute I'm by now, by now 50 something I've got this incredible back catalogue this is what I do right. and I'm not going to try continually to innovate just for the sake of it and I always really liked that there's something poignant about yes. it I thought but do you think because this is maybe extras was the moment he realised that <laughs> well yeah. the, when we, and this is going to be a bit like being on line of duty as we just forensically go into anything we are slightly obsessed so mm. so, but just to that point when you say he said maybe you don't remember Stephen Silver but when he sort of said oh, I was recycling things can you did he oh, just offer that up as well, a sort of you, oh, wait, or well, you, you're sure he wasn't talking about his actual rubbish <laughs> yeah, okay. just, just to be clear because he had a banana yeah. and you know this is exactly. before yeah. the green being yeah. available yeah. I've been recycling a lot and, and, and the reaction was well it's good of you to admit that it was not that big a thing to admit I'm just recycling rubbish yeah. I try but, to rack my brains to the specifics because yes. I remember it stuck with me because I got remember time, we got time but I remember it being something at the, yes. at the time that I remember mm. finding rather charming mm, and yeah. also for someone you know who who's aware of their own limitations as a writer, right. you know what I mean. Kind of being, oh, that's interesting that even a right. genius like him has similar sort of you know is aware of perhaps mm. the limitations or that they've reached a, mm. a wall or whatever or the ways of navigating the creative any, process or yes. something. Was yes. there any talk? Let's just talk a bit about about because obviously Bowie is an actor as well. So were you directing him? Did well, can I rewind for a second? Because there's an interesting thing which I think might be again yeah. revealing of him was that so he played us the piece which he'd composed to accompany our silly lyrics. And then I remember him asking something like, is it okay if I repeat that chorus here? Right. You know, it was like, it's very wow. sweet, the kind of, yeah. wow. you know, like as though the text is sacred. Yeah, and yeah. if he wants to it's repeat, you know, chubby little loser yeah. twice. Yeah. Yes. And we're like, whatever the hell you want. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, that does speak maybe to one thing, which is in the sort of um, grand scheme of things, comedy and music, both we hold both incredibly dear and arguably... Yeah. Around this table, they're the two most important things in the world, apart from our own families. <laughs> uh, just to say that. Well, I don't care about your family, so no, to no, me it's just true. music Yeah, yeah, no, good point. Um, but I think you can imagine a rock star, however big Bowie is, and he's as big as it gets from our point of view, sort of slightly being nervous around comedy 
and thinking, I well, don't he, want to muck uh, this up. Well, and, I, I've t- told you this before, that I, I've been told that he was a big comedy fan. Right. Right? My story about Bowie, which I've told on this podcast before, of course, but I'll just very briefly tell, tell you, which is that uh, I was on Jonathan Ross's radio show and Jonathan invited me on specifically because David Bowie was on and I got very nervous before, at the end of my interview because I thought, I'm not nervous about doing the interview, but I am very nervous about going into the control room where David Bowie is. Uh, and then my interview finished and I went in and I literally was tongue-tied, which is unusual for me, and David Bowie said, hello, David. And, well, I, and I nearly came in my pants. I yes. was so excited that David Bowie knew who I'm I was. I'm always glad you keep consistently putting nearly in your <laughs> <laughs> That does not change. Well, you know, I, sh- I might have done. It's hard to know. Uh, but um, I, I, why have I brought that up? What were you talking about? Uh, that he's aware of comedy. He, he was comedy. a comedy yes. fan. Yes. And, then, yes. and then later on, later on, so that made me think, oh, he does know who I am, that's nice. But I didn't really think about it that much until later on I did a thing at the V&A when they had their exhibition about David Bowie. I did a, a little talk. Uh, and he was still alive then, and it was with um, the guy from Spano Ballet, Gary Kemp, and yeah. Robert Elms, and, and I think you were there. I was. You were. Uh, and then afterwards, I was sort of hanging around just backstage, and a couple of people turned out to be like people who worked for Bowie, who had come to this, and they told me, oh, no, we've been sending Bowie tapes of comedy for years, and we sent them your Wembley Arena show on VHS. We sent them to Bowie when he was living in wherever he was living there. Wow, right. Because he's really interested in comedy, and I think, actually... Ricky's story is that he basically watched The Office right. and wrote to Ricky saying, I love it, you know, where do we go from here? And that's sure. how they ended up having a relationship. So I think he genuinely was a comedy fan. Yeah, that would make sense, yeah. absolutely. So that might be why he didn't want to, you know, sort of, get it wrong. You know, Well, I also be. hope that it's because, you know, in the end, he's someone who has famously collaborated over the years mm. and whatever status he has and whatever... Um, you know, authority he has. Maybe he still feels like, you know, he was collaborating. I don't know. But there is something about that scene that has always struck me as interesting, which is, of all the scenes in Extra, I really loved Extras, uh, but it's one of the most extreme surreal moments. It's always struck me as, you know, even though it's really funny, it's not entirely believable, because it's like Andy Millman's nightmare. It feels so much like... You know, Andy Millman, stroke Ricky, to some extent, has got this absolute hero who has actually turned up in his life. And then he sings a song about what a chubby little loser he is and sings a sort of horrible song, a horrible mean song that everyone joins in. Yeah. And at some level, it is a sort of... It's like a scene from a nightmare. It's pretty surreal, but I think we... I think we were kind of banking on the idea that the perhaps the average person doesn't know how a songwriting process works and that right. someone as talented as David Bowie could just sort of improvise a song yeah. on the spot oh, and no, sort I, of somehow that would buy us no, but that's a certain my, credibility. My, my issue really is, did David at any point say... I'm coming across a bit horrible here. No, not never remember that conversation. <laughs> never remember any sense of him, any yes. concern. Would, would I actually just sing this song about a bloke I've never met about how horrible he is? No. None of that. The only thing was that he he was very aware, he was nervous about trying to play the piano and sing okay. and do the scene. And so in actual fact, I hope I don't reveal too much, but there's actually a different pianist off screen. Right. I've read about that. And, he's, been, and he's playing yeah. uh, the, the, this... So even though David wrote the song and, and or wrote mm. the music and, and then played it to us, when he was performing the scene, he actually was just pianist. miming the, mm. piano, the piano and there was a different... So we had two grand pianos. Yeah. I wonder why that, that is really was. fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I think that is fascinating to a Bowie fan because uh, one of the sort of most iconic things I think of, of Bowie is on the Old Grey Whistle Test, he plays Oh You Pretty Things. Do you know that? But that bit of footage. That I don't shot. remember that thing. It's, no. it's really beautiful... And he's really playing the piano mm, there yeah. and singing, and mm. he's clearly not nervous at that point. But in I think time. it's less to do with I think it's less to do with not being able to. I think it's to do with um, 
you know, this is a sort of, this is probably not the number one priority mm. on his life yes. schedule. So he's going to graciously carve I the time out for it. He's probably yes. not going to spend hours rehearsing yes. to the standard he would want if he was yes. doing an old Grey Whistle Test performance mm. or a live tour. Yes. And so in order for him to be able to act, because remember, he's kind of, he's talking and then playing the piano and then talking. So I think it was just, it was one less thing to concern himself with. Yeah. I've realised that um, we've we've talked on this podcast a lot about meeting sort of heroes and, and so and Paul McCartney's come up a few times mm. and I won't, it's not a particular. I won't go into the story particularly, but I, I remember another time I met him and I filmed him for oh, a BBC, separate to when you said separate to on the don't bother to play the guitar. I'm not interested. So when our relationship buffers, to be honest, Stephen, <laughs> um, Paul and I, but um, but we used to make this show called Fame Academy. Do you remember Fame Academy? Yeah. BBC. Yes, that reason, yeah. yeah, my it, brother worked on it. He did. He did. Ivor Badil. Ivor Badil worked on it and. Um, uh, Cat Dealey and Pat Paddy Kilty, yeah, all, all the great. Everyone who through that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. remember you guys on it, but yeah. it was it was pretty much everyone else. And Paul McCartney did a VT insert on it, which mm. was just him wishing the students, which were the, the the contestants, if you like the things, best of luck. And obviously, I felt I needed to be at that shoot just to check of quality and check that. Absolutely. He, and um, so I remember waiting for ages at him before him in his office, which is in Soho Square, isn't it? And him eventually coming down, and there's a crew of about three or four people, and he came down. And as he came in the room, he started calling people by their names. So he'd obviously been briefed on everyone that was there. There's about three of us, four of us. He knew my name. I'd mm. never met, you know. And I wondered if... So that's wow. a thing maybe he did, or maybe that's a particularly poor thing. But was David... Was he sort of like this professional... Hang on, I'm going to have to stop you just for a yeah. second to ask. Yeah. Was this after you'd met him on the aeroplane? No, this is before. This is about 15 years ago. Oh, right. And then you met him on the aeroplane. So when you met him on the aeroplane... No, I didn't say you remember me. You didn't me. say you no. remember me from Fame I didn't Academy. Think, <laughs> I didn't think for a minute he would remember me. Well, you might I have thought you were Patrick Kilty. Or it, Cat Dealey. <laughs> he met... Well, when, when, on, when he had done his... Good luck to all the students. Um, it's Paul. No, it's Paul McCartney here. Mm. Good luck to the students in tonight's final because it was the final of Fame Academy. You, you remember who the winner was? So I don't need to go <laughs> to the name. Um, David Snedden. Of really, course, yeah, David Snedden won. Um, he he said, "Let's have a look at it back" because there was a monitor. So he so he wanted to look back at this yeah. fifteen second you know um, bit, bit that he'd done. So he knelt on the floor. <laughs> looking at the playbook next to me I then think well I'll kneel on the floor next to him to look at it I mean I literally couldn't remember word for word what he said I don't know what we're checking here but he's watching and he's looking at it come back and I'm thinking just for a minute I'm basically John right, yeah, yeah. right he's Paul yeah. we're, we're listening to a playback, playback. Of, 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 of during the revolver sessions yeah. Yeah. and I'm like I'll tell you what I could do something different with a guitar yeah. Yeah. instead of which he said um, I think that's right isn't it and I said yeah that's absolutely fine <laughs> and um, <laughs> you know, I wish I'd said let's do it one more time let's do it one more time yeah but, that would be good because um, then I think he would have said actually you've got real critical faculties you're not scared of me let's play together yeah. let's form a band together <laughs> and we can be the next the third wings if you like the third wings but, um, I, I do have a, a, a McCartney happen. encounter but we can oh. always can come back oh. to that at a later no, well, point. Oh. Let's, let's stay focused, shall we, well, on, on, well, the, on the subject at hand. I was asking you about David, David... You were going to ask a question about David Bowie. Well, I was only going to ask whether... Well, you he... were saying the idea that, you know, like famously the royals, don't they have someone who goes around right. with them and whispers, you know, uh, Stephen Merchant, right? The, exactly. Right, and right. Sort of, you're thinking, is but yes. does, does Bowie did have he... something similar? I mean, if he did, I, it was very subtle, because I don't right. remember... Right. This is Sean Williamson, Barry from EastEnders. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't hear that if that but was... Did he, but maybe when he said to me, hello, don't, maybe he is like that. See, maybe I, someone thought, is, I thought of that I don't as know. like, oh, he knows who I am, but someone may have whispered it. And it's right. easy for him to remember because it's, it's his name. Uh, <laughs> but, was but he, he might but, have done that with Sean. He might have done that with... Absolutely. But know. was he chatting? I suppose, uh, did well, he go it, around chatting to people? Was he, he, was, he didn't go around, I wouldn't mm. say he go around chatting, but he was certainly mm. not standoffish or right. aloof. Mm. I think probably people, you know, extras... I mean, actual extras are generally quite well behaved and don't tend to approach stars of that magnitude. Yes. And there wasn't a huge cast to sort of bother him. But I do remember, again, to go back to the idea of sort of the, the alien landing, yes. I think there is, certainly in my mind, there was that idea that when you have an encounter with someone like that, that's beyond just a kind of hello at a cocktail party, mm. that somehow you're going to have the opportunity to kind of crawl around inside their head and see mm. how their genius of course, yeah. kind yes. of works. Yes. And obviously the truth is that that's not the case. And no. my memory is I seem to remember, I'm sure we had a conversation about something as trivial as TV's Big Brother. I mean, I remember right. there was some reality show or something. Did that we you mention me at all? Or I yeah. don't think he did. But I do, that. the thing I most remember was I had been to see an exhibition of outsider art Oh, okay. You know, this is art kind of done by inmates yeah. and, and, mm. and asa uh, asylum inmates and so on. Oh, wow. And I thought, oh, this is the sort of thing that will, you know, yes. that I'll find, I, I'll bring this up. Mm. So I brought that up and I sort of mentioned it, you know, and pontificated a bit about it. And he said something like, um, well, yeah, I remember I, bu I bought a lot of that in 1972. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, I've got nothing to contribute to this man's existence. Um, but that is interesting, that idea. Funny. I think one does feel that. I mean, actually, I've said this on this podcast as well, but. When I met him, I was incredibly excited and bowled over and then very excited that he said my name. And after 20 minutes, I left because yeah. I thought I can't quite handle it. I can't quite handle the level of self-consciousness I feel. And then also there was this other thing that he was making a lot of jokes that weren't that funny, but everyone was laughing because everyone right. was nervous. And I, I find it very difficult to laugh at jokes that aren't actually funny. It's sort of, yeah. you know, even the presence of David Bowie won't quite trump <laughs> right. that. I can't right. do it under any circumstances. So I think there is always someone like him this sense before you meet them, yes, I'm going to perceive the secret, the enigma. It's yes, going to be revealed exactly. to me. But then what actually happens is it's all a bit self-conscious and well, I think complicated. It's a, I think it's a combination of that, but I think there's also another thing which is, and I've noticed this over the years, and particularly with doing extras with lots of other yeah, successful talents, is actually it all becomes quite workmanlike. Right. It's sort of, you know, that there is, that it's not about sort of endless moments of genius inspiration, that when John knelt down next to Paul mm. during the revolver sessions, it was probably quite a mechanical yes. process about those guitar, the guitar lines not yeah. right, whatever. And I think it was the same with that. You know, it's just, it's just you just get into the meat and potatoes of making the show and doing yeah. the different coverage and trying to get a slightly is different performance from him that kind of he's not quite giving you because he's. Yeah. You know, is there anyone you've met though? Because you've probably you know you met lots and lots of famous people uh, who you suddenly thought, no, I do have a connection with them, and either it has carried on or it hasn't. I had this strange experience I haven't mentioned on the show where. Someone who I'm not even that big a fan of. I mean, I'm not not a fan of his, but Eric Clapton. Right. I, I met at some event, and we started talking about guitars. And when I was young, I was very obsessed with electric guitars. So I do actually know quite a lot in a slightly nerdy way about electric guitars. And we're talking about it with Eric Clapton. And at the end of it, Eric Clapton said to me, "And it's been great. I want to, I want to carry it on." And gave he me his that. phone number on a bit of wow. paper, and I lost it. 
I lost it. For all I know, Eric Clapton is sitting now in a pile somewhere, like an incredible place in Jamaica, wherever he lives, thinking that fucking David Baddiel, that's He's, horrible. I, but he might call, so I'll stay by the phone. Yeah, he, might, exactly. he might call. Any, any second now, he might call. That's happened to me a couple of times, actually. Jamie Oliver, not quite as quite the same name, but he once left me a very long message about how he wanted to take me. I'd mentioned to him on some show that I'd met him on that I thought the produce that you get in this country wasn't very good. And he rang me at home, right, uh, and said, oh, it was a long message, you should come with me to Bermondsey or wherever it was, right. Billingsgate, some, Borough, some market, probably. Borough Market it was, mm. thank you, with a B, mm. uh, and come with me, we'll go there early in the morning, I'll show you some incredible stuff you can get. Didn't leave a number, right? And I didn't, you know, and I didn't have email, it was before email or whatever, and I, again, didn't get back to him. Is that really, so this is a side is that your view, the produce in this country <laughs> isn't very good? That seems quite sweeping. But also <laughs> that Jamie's thinking I've got to get hold of Badil's number and further this discussion. <laughs> This was some time ago, but yes, that you really, was. That's well, I, I now think maybe it's not the case, but certainly yes. Right. I, I, well, you know, th- this comes back to what we were saying about cracking the enigma, because clearly, when you said the thing about outsider art, a tiny part of you was self-consciously thinking this will be something. This will be connected. What yeah. Dave is interested mm-hmm. in. So, to be honest with you, I don't really have much opinion about produce in this country, no. but I was <laughs> with Jamie Oliver, right. so, so I had to say something about food and yeah. so thought I'll take a position. I'll take a I'll hard take one. A position I actually yeah. am a big admirer and fan of Jamie Oliver, yeah, so, so I would actually quite man. like to be mates with Jamie Oliver. No, he's so a I'm quite jealous he's a lovely of fella. you. He's a lovely fella. He's a lovely. I had a similar thing with Hugh Cornwall. I don't know. Oh yeah, he's come up of the Stranglers again. I'm not a massive. I never really got into the Stranglers, so so. Um, but Sidebar, uh, the first album right. I bought, uh, I sent my mother to Woolworths to get on cassette the best of The Stranglers. Was it? The best so, of. The best of well, The Stranglers. Wait, wait, wait. I remember it was being advertised. And, uh, anyway. Wait, wait, that was when would that be? Well, it... I, I bought, I had a few records I'd kind of yeah. accumulated, but that was the first one I remember seeing advertised and then sending my mother to buy yes. in about 1988. Right, right yeah. Because I remember thinking it's quite a cool first album, yeah, even definitely. if it was on cassette. Yeah. And it's a also best cool of. getting your mum to buy it from Woolworths. But anyway. But but well, because I think like you, I'd missed. I think I'm a bit older than you, but I'd missed the Stranglers moment. So for me, they were never. No, I, like, I used to really like the Stranglers. Right, Golden Brown. I literally, I would say Golden Brown, which is like someone saying, "I like Life on Mars." I'm yeah, a Bowie right. fan, so that's all I remember. But no, I like the first album very much. But anyway, right. well, so I'm a, I was at a party, and Hugh Cornwall was. Play, he was a friend of the guy who was having the party, and so he played a set on acoustic guitar. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I didn't really know it was him at first, but then I heard him do... Oh, that, that, actually, there's a really great song called The Pr- Prince of the Tower. What's Prince the ta- of the Streets. Is that what you mean? That's not helping. What you're doing now is really not helping. That one, the tower. I mean, that sounds like the theme tune to the good life. That's it. I'm sure it's got... Anyway, it's a strange... And you're in a band, you said. But I don't sing. But I do play very well. But the... So he played... And I thought, that's a Strangler song. And then I suddenly clicked, that's actually Hugh Cornwall. So he's at the party and I, at some point, I've had enough to sort of glasses of wine to think I'm just going to go and say hello. So I went to say hello to him. And for some reason, it's a bit like your produce and Jamie Oliver mm. thing. The thing, it must have been like BAFTA season. So end of the, it's the end of the year or January. Uh, so beginning of the year, the opposite of what I said. Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. But award season for you yeah, is the yeah. end of the year. Yes, January. And everyone's watching the BAFTA films. And uh, I got into a conversation with him. So oh, I just watched whatever it was. And he said, oh, great film. And it was obviously, he was a film buff. So then I th- thought, well, I'll throw another one in. I also saw this film. I'm not really a film fan mm. at all. Mm. Not not at all. But I like to watch the you know the big ones. So I had a conversation. And I suddenly thought, God, we talk about film quite a lot. I'm not sure how to get out of this. And eventually it ended. But he said, a bit like you are, he said, tell you what, I'll take your number. <laughs> and so I said, sure. So I gave him my mobile <laughs> and I took his, yeah. just for the pleasure of writing Hugh Cornwall yeah. and his number. Brackets, stranglers. The stranglers yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> never into them that much, close brackets. And then a couple of days later, I thought, well, you've got to get, keep these when they're hot, right? I'll either just let this never happen. Mm. So for some reason, I thought I'd text him and say, nice to meet you, which it was, because yeah. he was a really lovely fella. Really nice to meet you. Um, be good to hook up sometime. And he said, yeah, something like, come to my, I'll meet you wherever it was. So he gave some, like a bar or something. He said, I see that so-and-so is up for the Oscar. And I thought, I can't do this. Right. He thinks I'm he a, thinks film a film guy. guy. Oh, no. yeah. He thinks I'm the film you, you'd guy. You've laid your cards on the table and, as a film guy and you're not. And I'm not a film guy at all. Yeah. And so I thought, when I meet him, he's going to want to... Here's all the things yeah. about it. And I thought, I can't... So you. So what happened? So, so you, 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 you sort of blanked him. What's it called? Ghosting in the dating world? Right? Where you just yeah. don't respond to somebody's... I, 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 I did respond. So sure you I come clean? Did you no, say, I thought, I've lied well, equally, to I'm you. in that trap, aren't I? I don't know him well enough to say, by the way, I'm not a film guy. Yeah. Because uh, also, what if he doesn't think I'm the film? He's like, yeah, no, I'm just making <laughs> just having a chat. Like, oh, fuck, now I've really gone, you know. So the whole thing was looking like a mess to me, yeah. Stephen. Yeah. I don't know if I was So you right just threw your phone in the Thames. <laughs> Actually, no, I did. I just texted back. I've always sort of... preferred Jean-Jacques Burnell. <laughs> you said. But he was a lovely guy, and I, I yeah. wonder whether there could have been something. Um, I have another story, but I want to stop these stories because I wanted to talk uh, to Stephen about who I believe is his big musical idol in the way that ours is Bowie, which is Bruce Springsteen. Is right. that correct? Yes, and it's and it's um, it's a, unusually a more recent development than you perhaps expect. I suspect you guys perhaps were Bowie fans, at, you know, oh, in your youth and yes. as a, in your prime. It's and, not, not from when you were And kid. it's not. No, that's what's odd. And I actually, I've you know, um, I have many other people that I admire, but for some reason I was very late to, to uh, Bruce Springsteen. And... and I've become sort of evangelised by oh, him and right. by... And I don't quite know why that is. Um, and I, I remember early on, I think, when I was in my... in my When I was buying The Best of the Stranglers, or my mother was, <laughs> I was I was sort of... I guess I was getting into alternative, what you might loosely term alternative. My, then I became into The Smiths and later Britpop and that whole yeah. scene. That was kind of my introduction to music, I suppose, because I got into it quite late. Came from a non-musical family. My parents had, I think, the best of Glenn Miller, a lot of best right, of. Right. Um, but never music in the house, never listened to music. I used to sort of secretly listen to Derek Jameson on Radio 2, like, <laughs> wow, thinking, I was, yeah. thinking it was very 
outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's almost like our family. You remember that town in the in the film Footloose? You won't know it. You're not a film fan, but in the in the film Footloose, they sort of banned dancing. Yes, and right. I feel a bit like music was sort of just not in our yeah. same in, in our, our house really. Not really a yeah. thing. My parents had like three records. Right, one of which was owed to Billy Joe. I don't exactly. Know that record. Right, you know, right. and they you know, just listened to that over and over again. You know, there's yeah. a whole genus of best of albums, which that Glenn Miller one may or may not have been. But you would get those greatest hits ones, yeah. like Glenn Miller, and it wouldn't have in the mood. <laughs> right, like, exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you sure this is? Yeah. A, I bet it, it presumes. Or it, it would be sort of the best of uh, the best of um, uh, I don't know uh, uh, Chuck Berry, but right. like you know the great the great the great hits would yeah. be sort of live versions from yeah, 1975. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, by the way, I'm just going to have a sidebar. I'm going to go back to Bruce Springsteen, which is. What do you mean you're not a film fan? I mean, you've thrown that into the conversation. <laughs> well, like, film is just like, you know, growing tomatoes. It's not a big deal in anyone's cultural life. That's like a massive element of everyone's cultural life that you've decided not to be interested in. How can that be? You I might, feel I don't know you at all. You might say the same about produce. Let's <laughs> yeah, be honest. But you're, really, you're not interested in no, films I suppose, at all. No, it's not, the, it's not like... I don't mean I'm not interested in it. I mean that I wouldn't... The conversation I had with... I think I can call him Hugh. Yeah. He was really lovely and we got on well. Was based entirely on films. Right. And I couldn't get out of the film vortex. And so I wouldn't say... The thing about me is, you know, if you want film, just give me a call. I right. will tell you. you know, right. I, I mean, I like film. I watch okay. lots of films. All right. So, so it's not the case no, just, you I'm don't not, like I suppose films. I mean expert. I, I think I was coming across like... Like you're I was an buff. expert. Yes, like, like I was a buff. Okay, that's all right. And the, he'd got me down as, oh, I, I tell you, if, if it's a film thing, I'll invite Tim. Right. You know, and I'd be like, well, that's, that's the film. I don't yeah. think this was Hugh Cornwell of the Stranglers. <laughs> no, I, I think, think this think was, was just either. a guy who played some Stranglers tunes at a party. You know, that happened to me once. Not not with Hugh Cornwell, but I was having dinner once in Nottingham. Uh, I'd gone there to do a book reading, and I was the woman who was the PR was we were just having dinner with her, and a bloke sat down at the table and said, hi, I'm Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, right? <laughs> right. And I went, oh, I don't know Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. And I went, oh, OK. And he started talking to me and to her, and he's a bit drunk and a bit weird, but I have no reason to disbelieve no. that this is who he is, because what a strange thing to say if you're not. However, about 30 minutes later, I started to think, I don't think it is Johnny Greenwood wow. from Radiohead, because I've mentioned a few Radiohead things. He's <laughs> yeah. looked a bit blank. <laughs> yes. It's a bit weird. He's an odd bloke. He's saying a lot of weird things. I had to go and get the maitre d' and say, can you ask this bloke to leave? Because I, you know, I just don't think he's... I think really? he might be mental. Now, for all I know, it was, it Johnny, was Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, and he was just a bit drunk, and I made a but mistake. If we one pulled one. up a picture of Greenwood, would you be able to... Yeah, all right. Pull one up. It's now. quite a good one to I choose, mean, isn't it? Though, because yeah, it exactly. It's just, it's just you know the name, but you don't necessarily yes. know. But he was kind of right. aggressive in that sort of slightly weird way that people are who I'm going to talk about being well-known enough that you sometimes attract people who you think, like, oh, God, there's something a bit weird and aggressive about you. And yeah. you're... So he was like that. He was like someone you think, like, oh, he wanted to sort of have a bit of a strange relationship with me that involves having a bit of a go and whatever. And I don't believe that's something Johnny Greenwood right. would no, want. No. Not the bloke who's written the score to There Will Be Blood. Do you know what I mean? That's, yeah, that's right. who Johnny Greenwood is. is that him yeah, that wasn't him. That was definitely, that's definitely not, not him. him. So yeah. that's a picture yeah. that you're yeah. not recognising. No, I don't right. recognise him. I mean... He didn't look incredibly not like that either. You know, it wasn't like, oh, the guy was obviously 70, and so obviously yes. not him. But I, yeah. So if you're out there, Johnny, if you could tell me if it was you on Twitter, I'm available at Abbeydale, that would be absolutely great. At a certain point in my life, around about the Britpop period, there's a pub in the Oval in South London 
where the barman thought that my friend Ian was Ray Clement's son. Really? For reasons I genuinely can't remember. Right. And there was always a free drink, or, a, or a, my memory was a free drink for Ian, <laughs> with a sort of, hey, you know, and he had to... There's a bit of that, right? <laughs> really? He thought he was Ray Clement's son, and I, I, maybe he said, maybe he did what your the guy did and said yeah. that at some point. Yes. I mean, he must have That done, is right? a long shot of thinking, this will get me into places. <laughs> this will get me free drinks. So Ray, Ray Clement's son and son. Johnny Greenwood, they're similar things. You can't I, really, I think Johnny Greenwood's be... better of the two of them. <laughs> I think anyway, yeah. can I finish where I was heading? Yeah, because yes, I feel like I, I, I hate listening to podcasts where someone begins, even yes. if it's the most dull yes. story no, no, in the world, no, no, they, they start down an avenue and it never gets resolved. No, no, and you're a man who's done many great podcasts. Thank you, I appreciate that. We bow to you in that respect. The reason I was bringing up all that stuff was that... I was not a Bruce fan, and when I was young, to me, Bruce, I just didn't know anything about him. I just dismissed him as being a sort of meatloaf, part of the kind of meatloaf, you know, sort of silly Bon Jovi kind of rocker world. And so I just never gave him any regard. I I didn't know that he was well thought of even then. And all the whole kind of born in America, born in the USA and all that sort of nonsense. Mm. So... um, uh, for some reason, bought you know um, the, one of these albums, Born to Run, I think, thinking I'll give him a try. You know, graciously, I'll give him a try. You send your mum out to, <laughs> so, to yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, listened, couldn't get into it. Thought it was a lot of sort of slightly pompous, silly music. Dismissed it, threw it away. Just didn't wow. listen to it. And then many years later, again, possibly working with Ricky, for some reason he came up, and I thought I'll revisit it. And I listened to it again, and it all clicked into place. Sort really? of, wow. you know, like it kind of washed over me. It all made sense. Mm. I was engaged. I was emotional. It felt cinematic. Wow. I just was really bowled over by that same album. And then went to see him live and was just absolutely blown away. And he does, I think, for people that fall for him, he's there's something evangelical about a yes. live experience. It's He's a great showman. And I've seen, I'm lucky to have seen quite a lot of those big hitters. And aside from Prince... I don't think there's anyone else mm. who is as who is as commanding of a live environment in a very different way and mm. really can make a huge venue feel small and draw mm. you in and make you feel like he's talking to you and that it's sort of there's something um, direct a direct communication with the fans. I was very That's and ever since because, I've been enamored the, of him because the Bowie because the Bowie experience of the live was was all that theatricality right. at the beginning. Right. Anyway, but I talked you know? about about this with Stephen actually on the way right. here was about how. I mean, this is a simplistic thing to say and probably turns out to be wrong, but that at some level you could see Bowie and, and Bruce Springsteen as yeah. the opposite end well, of the spectrum in that Bowie is all is supposedly all about theatricality and artificiality and character playing, whereas Bruce is all about authenticity and realness mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, the actual guy and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And obviously that's probably not true because to some extent it's a persona. It is, and also he, I think Bruce is quite willing... Uh, to acknowledge that it's it's sort of an act and that he isn't... And funny enough, I just saw that Springsteen on Broadway show in which it's almost 50% performance and talking and sections from his autobiography kind of made into a stage monologue and music. And in that, he talks about how, you know, everyone talks about me as the voice of the blue-collar factory worker. Mm. I've never been in a factory. Right. Yeah. You know, and he jokes about it and he says, you know, the only time I've ever done five days of solid work in a row is this show. Yes. And so I think he is, you know, and he does joke about that. But yes, he's regarded as being more authentic and the kind of t-shirt yeah. walks onto stage in a t-shirt yeah. with cigarettes under the sleeve or whatever and you know and, and as you say but it is and it is an act and he talks a lot about how he's influenced by the Chuck Berries and the kind of classic rock and rollers and but but I agree it's kind of it's but, in the guise of being a regular but the interesting joke. thing about because I don't know Springs other than I like the obvious things I don't really know Springsteen very well and I have a, had a similar block I'm really interested to hear you say that you saying that makes me want to go back in and because mm. I know many people are really into him I suppose the one a difference you could say is not so much the theatricality bit, but Bowie, or it feels from the outside, Bowie the outsider, sort of, you know, the alien and all that, 
Springsteen always seems a bit more. That doesn't seem to be his thing, right? He's not sort right. of an outsider in that way. Well, in right. a way, because he, he speaks that... for the dispossessed. I mean, that, right. I would say. I mean, I, right. again, I don't know that much about Bruce Springsteen, but the characterizations and the stories that he seems to be telling right. seem to be about people like born to run, tramps like us. Maybe we were right. born to run. There's a sense of people outside on the run, not fitting in, blah blah blah, but not in the same way as. Bowie, well, I think it, to me the difference seems to be, you know, there's those documents. Class, I guess. Is what right, I but I think also with it seems like Bowie comes from. I mean, you'll know more. I don't know the intricacies, but you would perhaps associate him more with the art school mm, side yes. of of, yeah. of music and of art, and that you know his collaborations with Eno and and all that kind of you know makes sense, and that. Um, the sort of cut-up technique that he used, you know, to write lyrics back in the day, and they all feel a lot more like art projects in a way. Yeah. And that perhaps sometimes, for me, I can feel like I'm not quite accessing him through the kind yes. of technique that he's used. Much as I love what he's doing, I'm not quite emotionally engaged. Yes. And I think there is a sort of, there's a kind of short story directness with the best of Bruce Springsteen is it feels like it sort of owes, I don't know, it's like um, Raymond Carver or something. Mm. It just, it feels a lot, it feels lean and direct and kind of engages you in that way. And I think he's drawing on, I don't know, Steinbeck or whoever you want to sort of tell stories of real people. And I think that's, and it's a completely different project, but it's equally engaging. Yeah, that's really interesting because actually I think there is a link there as well as a difference, which is, you're like, well, I was on Desert Island Disc the other day and I chose this song Conversation Piece, which is a new song. It's an old song, but Bowie redid it in 2002. But it's a new song for me. I'd only heard it a couple, uh, like a year ago and I really loved it. And But one of the things I like about it is it paints a character story. It's about a man who lives on top of a news agent who's spent a lot of time in education. That itself could be a Bruce Springsteen lyric. Right, says, right. And, and who walks to the end of the road every day. And it's just this character sketch. And that is interesting, I think, because... I like that, but in Springsteen, I sometimes have a problem with that because I sometimes think, well, who are you? Because you seem to be the narrator yes. of these two young people who are driving through the streets of Detroit or right. whatever, and that seems to be And he often is, and he talks a lot, you know, in his autobiography and also in this show and elsewhere about how he's often inhabiting his, his father or his mother or his sister, whose husband was a sort of blue-collar guy and also bizarrely a rodeo rider. Right. And, so, and so he talks a lot about kind of them being observations of the people he grew up with and and that clear and his difficult and sort of overwrought relationship with his sort of drinking depressive father mm. is something that he's recycled and played through a lot in the music and he does you know and early stuff is kind of portraits of his of the sort of boardwalk when he was growing up and then as time's gone on it's kind of evolved and it's perhaps got bigger in scope but certainly you know, it, he's. It's a lot about sort of small town life and and the blue collar person struggling. And but he just he just. I think he's just very good at finding. I just think he's a really good, just a great wordsmith. I think some of yeah. his little turns of phrase and some of his lyrics are just really elegant. Have and, you read Safraz Manzor's memoir? I haven't. Him. I haven't. It's but I'm aware it's growing yeah, up. In, he, making a film of it now. In fact, right. Exactly. Uh, they grow up in Luton. I know you're interested in films, Tim, but they are making. <laughs> a film I, I, of it. I've, um, I've watched a couple. Yeah. Watched Finding Nemo. Uh, but he kids. talked to me, Safraz Mansour, about the lyrics being yeah. being being the thing. With Bruce. Of course, the other thing about Bruce Springsteen is he does have a nickname, which That's I think right. is always interesting <laughs> when pop stars have nicknames. He is the boss. Now I've no idea if. Bruce himself. Well, apparently, sort of, that I think that name he, came from the fact that in their early days as a sort of pub pub rocking band or a bar band, that he was the one that went to collect the money from the promoter, and so was sort of somehow known as the boss because he then dish it out to the rest of the band. Right. So I think that's I think that's where you it mean, sort of originated. But he didn't, didn't give himself the title. No, of it was the boss. like um, 
Paul Paul Ince. Oh, the governor. Paul Ince, apparently, who played for Liverpool and Man United and England, insisted on being called the gaffer, but I thought it was. Was it, was it, it the was, governor? I can't remember. I just sort of said, this well, is well, my... You know, I'm known as the shag machine. Right. Well, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting that Paul Ince called himself the governor and Bruce Springsteen is the boss. It's rare that it's a low-status nickname. Well, I mean, normally, right, like, right, you know, right. Elvis is the, the king. Underling. The king, yeah. It's rare that it's like the courtier. <laughs> yeah. or, or well, no, it's say. normally, I am well, in a position of authority. You're nickname. very close. There's two, two, when I was at junior school in Scotland, as we established in earlier mm. podcasts, people, I remember a conversation with a couple of people saying, we, we need nicknames or silly names, and they couldn't think of one for me. And I said... Well, why don't you say Tim Stinks? <laughs> I offered that up. You offered a I negative offered nickname. Up a negative nickname. Oh. Just, I think, to sort of. That's interesting. So, well, I, I, tr- I wanted a nickname at school, and I tried to get one going. And for, again, I don't know why I chose this. I remember saying to friends at school, uh, "I don't know if you know, but everyone's calling me Spud." <laughs> <laughs> and I just—I think in my mind, I wanted to be sort of part wow. of a kind of Bash Street yeah. kids okay, style was that the gang. You know? yes. Spud. I mean, again, rather like Tim Stinks, it doesn't speak that <laughs> well of you, but you like a potato. No, of course. I you know, and I think, I think both and of also, you... why am I not beanpole? Or, there's something yeah. obvious that right, you could right. pick on four but eyes. Why am I spud? But both of you clearly just wanted a nickname. Yes. Well, well, I, it, I, so it... I've never wanted a nickname particularly, right. although I did not want to be called Badil. When I was a kid, I thought that's a right. really weird name. People find it hard to say or whatever. And I did start thinking to myself, maybe I'll change my name. But because I was a kid, I was just reading comics and stuff. I wanted it to change to like a superhero name. So I wanted to be called David Flash or David... <laughs> Power, yes. I think it was. David Power is the weirdest. But it sounds rubbish, but it's like superpower or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 there's one that makes me slightly sad when I think about it is a friend of mine uh, had a friend at Manchester University at the end of the 80s, and he's, I don't think I've said this before, he said very early on, this guy, oh, um, but I, th- I think I'd like a nickname. So, right. he's, so he's 18 or 19. Right. Um, right, says my friend. Um, uh, what I'd like you to call me, if you're all right with it, is I'd like you to call me the Jester. <laughs> oh, no. and that's, now, that's it turns out no it gets sadder because that's actually not a reference to Marillion. It, it, so, that's even, what, so there's another layer of sadness. So yeah, that, 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 that was. I reference. think that's better. I mean, okay, you, I you, you, you may I know, not like Marillion, but at least it's not saying. I'm such a funny guy. <laughs> I right, want to be called the jester. You know, at least it's yeah. saying I've got a weird problem. I've always habit. hoped yeah. that in the event, perhaps inevitably, that I go to prison mm. for yes. some reason, that yeah. I will be known as the professor. Yes, because I'll, right. I'll be reading, I'll work yeah. in the library, I'll be writing and reading Help letters for the inmates that can't read. Like, honest, I think you'll be known as Spud. <laughs> Almost <laughs> definitely. Well, I try to get the professor going, they just keep calling me Spud. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you will be David Power. I'll be David Power. Uh, do you have a, I believe, I, this is a terrible link, uh, but you told me that you do in fact have a Bruce, actually have you met Bruce Springsteen? I've yeah. never met Bruce Springsteen and I think I'm actually more intimidated uh to meet him than, than yes, I was with, with Bowie. Hard. I think that would be... Uh, mm. This is a sidebar. This is not the story I was going to tell but you. I imagine I, he'd be really nice. I, mean, I think this he would. I'm sure he would. But I, I also just think, because I think he's not the tallest man in the world. Well, right, and you and are. I have a great you anxiety at the, age of six, at the height of six foot seven. To be, I'm always worried that us, it will seem like an insult that I sort of brazenly what, walk in with my height. <laughs> and a, sort of someone, a short person who is the boss. Who, who in the room has the higher status, but not the higher height, will somehow be infuriated. Now that I picture... You and Bruce Springsteen, who I know is about, he's like five foot seven or something. Right. I could see Bruce thinking, well, for fuck's sake, I'm Bruce Springsteen, I have to look up to yes. this bloke but if who he's is five, not, I once, who's I not once the boss. was invited to a spot. dinner where I knew Tom Cruise was going to be there, and I arrived, and there, he was already sat with some other people, and I did sort of slope my way in and sink into my seat, <laughs> sort of def- at a lower height. Was he definitely so was, sitting down? He was already sitting okay. down, so I was already winning. Right, yeah. yeah um, no, that must be complicated for you. Mm. But uh, the state, I never struck me before, that the status relationship of you being always or often the tallest person yeah. 
the room with people who are higher status. Who are higher status. That's I think, I don't know you, I'm sure you wouldn't spit it, why would you? But I think Tom Cruise might be someone who, I can imagine him not being into music at all. Tom somehow. Cruise? Yeah, I imagine Tom Cruise just doesn't, I don't know if you talk to him at the party. Not or, about music. No. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, Stephen has talked to me actually proof. about. Uh, not Tom yeah. Cruise, or Tom Hanks. You did talk to me about. But... Cruise, I've spoken to. And I, I, I liked Cruise a lot, but I didn't. I don't remember music. We talked about films. So yes. we wouldn't know about. It. Wouldn't be <laughs> Thank God I wasn't there. there. Yeah. yeah. Thank yeah. God. But no, it's, I just, it's I fair was... enough for Tom Cruise to talk about films, isn't it? <laughs> I was at. A, this is how tragic I. You're talking about fan worship. So I, I was at a Bruce show in. Um, in Los Angeles, and and there was one of those sort of those areas near the stage, and the sort of you know the pit near the stage yeah. where you're you I guess you had to have a wristband to get in there. And so I went kind of show one, and I loved it. And then he did a stage dive where he kind of joined wow. the hungry oh, heart. Right. He kind of walked around, and then he allow, he doesn't sort of dive in, but he allows he sort of leans on the crowd, and they they kind of use their hands, you know, and above their heads they ride him back to, to the do, stage. I know he's in his uh, mid sixties, yeah. yeah. And he definitely so, meant um, it, did he? Definitely. Yeah, he didn't just have a fall. Well, because I checked on YouTube to see if he did it at other shows, yeah. realising, oh, this is not just a one-off, he right, does it all right, the time. Right. So the, so I went the second night, and now I knew what was coming, <laughs> so I was primed to be in position to be able to be no. one of the people oh. who's, really? who's handling Bruce. again, aren't you too tall? Well, this is the problem. So Bruce is coming, and I can see him coming towards me, and I've lined up, ready to go. Brilliant. And as he hits my hands, he starts to go upwards, and of course now <laughs> the person behind me can't reach the boss because I'm holding him up now. And you run and a moment in time where I am holding single-handedly the boss. Bo- I've basically wow. got his upper body and someone in front of me has his legs and he's very dense. He's like incredibly yeah. compact. Yes, yeah. A lot of sort of muscle and sinew. Yes. And um, I was very conscious that I was <laughs> yeah. struggling under the My weight God. of Bruce Springsteen yeah, so and brilliant. thinking if I drop the boss during Hungry Heart yeah. in front of thousands Heart, of people, yeah, yeah. that is a great, great problem. I would have oh. killed the boss. Or oh, severely I've got an yeah. image in my mind. As you know, a snail sometimes, it reaches an obstacle like yes. on the ground <laughs> yes. and it starts to very gradually go over the that's the image I've got in my mind it was that and I was also it's sort of you suddenly realise what faith he's put in the yeah. crowd yeah, yeah. Yeah. and me in particular as a a tiny... and I don't have the upper body strength to hold is up is he the actually boss. singing or just... singing the whole time he's yeah. singing the whole time he's singing got a microphone yeah so yeah. did you in his singing just if it's a slight moment <laughs> of like slight I don't know, what, what, what's happening <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something weird but is I think the here. point of the stage dive is that is exactly that there's lots and lots of hands so yes. you went against the, I went op- against the opposite it. if it sung everybody wants a hungry heart but I'd actually like a ladder right now that would have been fantastic <laughs> but also what, it's like saying I'm going to jump into the audience but I'm just going to jump on that guy and then you think oh, don't do that mate I don't wow. think but that's well what I take full responsibility because it's not you know the, the boss is giving his yeah. trust to his fans and yeah. for many years he's yes. been doing this and they've never let him down suddenly I have this responsibility not even an American. I'm sure yes. that would have caused even more controversy. Yeah. But luckily, as I did it, he sort of slipped from my hands to some more waiting hands. And, yeah, but you only yes. went. But there must have been a point because you were standing, looking forward, obviously, where you didn't know whether or not he'd just Absolutely. fallen down very, behind your very head and banged wow. his head. Very conscious of it being. But who uh, thought you'd be so relieved to let go of it? I know. You know to pass him on. <laughs> I know. To pass the boss I mean, on. Can, can, yeah. can I ask a slightly awkward question? When you're doing that, is there a moment where you think, I'm a bit near Bruce's genitals. <laughs> definitely. Definitely aware of, <laughs> do, I, do I touch the arse? Yeah, yeah, do yeah, I yeah. go straight from yeah. lower back yeah, to, yeah. to upper thigh? If you're, particularly if you're protecting him by yes, then. And yes. thinking, well, I have to hold on to his arse. Yes. Otherwise also, he down. has that red handkerchief in it, doesn't he? If I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 be exactly careful right. that doesn't come out. Yeah. Left holding right. that. That's yeah. So you have met him, in a sense. In a sense, I've touched him. Intimately. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Can I just ask another question, which struck me, which is I've been to many festivals and shows like that. I don't go anymore. One reason I don't go is I always think I can't really see anything but of course it must be brilliant being yes. your high at a festival huge bonus and also um, we obviously get I often get um, very angry yes. patrons behind me who are furious yes, so you're not, particularly uh, if there's a show where you start sitting down yes. and of course you know I, have to, I always apologise to the person behind yeah. me mm. have you um, ever had a girlfriend who you've put on your shoulders at a festival 
as I think I've tried to flag up, I don't have the upper body strength to hold up Bruce or to have a girl on my shoulders. But you mentioned that Bruce did that during Hungry Hearts, yes. which I obviously I know, again, that's one of the big songs. Mm. Is there with him, because we talk a lot about Bowie, about, you know, the obvious songs that people like. And as a, as a sort of, when you become sort of really into someone, you get a bit snobby about that, don't you think? Well, right. those aren't, you I don't know. want to go for the root one. I don't want to go for the root ones. And also we should mention, as I know, because you'd be unhappy if I didn't orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Um, yes. You know, I was a big fan of OMD, as I call them, growing up. And I went to see them a few years ago, having lost touch with them when I was about 16. And of course, it's like one hit after another. And it's terrible. They're not playing the sort of early craft worky type right. stuff. Right. Awful. With Bruce, is that, do you accept the Hungry Hearts and the Born I'm actually the quite a fan of that because and to the, me oh, is that typical for well, fans? Well, it's a couple of things because I think um, I mean I've seen him in various iterations, and so mm. I've seen kind of sort of uh, more low key acoustic shows where he's a bit more esoteric, mm. um, and then in those big stadium shows, I think you go along slightly rooting for the mm. big hits because there's a sense of sort of theatre and yes. camaraderie to it. And so I have no objection yeah, to yeah, Guardian. Yeah, yeah. I think it was his first sort of that, AM there, radio hit yes. or FM radio hit. Is yeah. there an obscure Bruce Because we haven't had any music. We normally have a bit of music. Is there an obscure Bruce Springsteen track that you as an aficionado could say, oh, this is the one you should listen to? Well, I always think of what's revealing. I don't know that it's it's not a tune I would put on constantly, but if you've never heard it, it's quite it's worth listening to the sort of original acoustic demo of Born in the USA. Oh, right. Can we, can we get that up? Can we see if we it's can from the it? tracks compilation. And what's interesting is it's it's just a sort of acoustic demo. But it if you think if if your thoughts of Bruce mm. is of yeah, him yeah. as this sort of bombastic stadium filling mm. rocker, it's an interesting alternative mm. reading and it allows you to actually listen to the mm. lyrics and you you hear that it's more about Vietnam yes. vets coming back and trying well, to find I, I, their see, place. I've always preferred Bruce Springsteen, and I'm not uh, a super fan. I do like about sort of 10 of his songs really a lot and then I've sort of lost after that but generally I prefer him when he's in his kind of melancholy yes. acoustic sort of mood than when he's sort of pumping it out to yes. some extent well so you get a sense by the end of that he gets into this almost sort of um, animalistic howl of pain and, and sort of um, let's, yeah. uh, let's actually hear that bit No, that's actually him just falling off your hands, isn't it? Just that's actually that. That's actually a recording of that. Anyway, there we go. Uh, I think we'll go out on that, shall we? Stephen, are you prepared to stay on? And we might do another one. By all means, that would be very good. All right, we'll see you next week. Yeah, we have to wait here for a week. Yeah. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.